right. So like I said, the message for today is a manual. It's based on Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. If anybody has trouble hearing me or seeing me, please comment. Hey, Carrie, it's good to see you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Um, I'll make any adjustments that I need to as long as you comment. So begin. let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And like I say quite often, uh, if you join with us regularly, I would highly suggest uh, having a journal. Uh, keep track, take notes, keep track of the verse references that I refer to, and study the sermon throughout the week. Uh, it's always a, a good way to begin your week is to take the sermon from Sunday and feed on it uh, throughout the week until the next Sunday. Uh, also, if you're interested in receiving my sermon notes, if that would help you, all you got to do is email me at chat at the way the letter r122.org and I'll email you the sermon notes. We already send out uh, hundreds each week uh, to all the pastors in Kenya and to different people that have asked for them so we could uh, include your name on that list. So let's begin. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Folks, on a little side note, I didn't realize uh, I got my wife a new puppy for Christmas and didn't realize he's sleeping in my office. So if you hear snoring from the background, that's what the sound is. It's our new uh puppy sleeping in my office. So again, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Let's look at verse 18 to begin. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And what I really want you to try to focus on as we go through this message is why Christ came in the flesh, what the purpose of that was, why was he born in human form? And then also there's much to learn from the way that Joseph and Mary dealt with this situation that they found themselves in through the supernatural uh, working of God and how they responded to something that was just so bizarre, really, that came upon them. There, there's valuable lessons in all of this for us. So again, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, betrothed, uh, we look at engagement in Western society as, uh, I guess you could say, almost a bit of a loose agreement. Uh, you're engaged, you're planning on getting married, 
but there's always an out. You know, we often hear about engagements being called off, not being followed. The wedding never happens. In Jewish society, a betrothed woman, a woman that was engaged, was considered to be a lawful wife. So the binding commitment was already taking place. It wasn't something that was taken as lightly as it is in Western society. It was a much more sacred and serious decision that was made and covenant that was entered into when it was decided that two people were going to be engaged to be married. So Christ was born. Obviously, we know this. Everybody knows the Christmas story. Christ was born to Mary, a virgin who was engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And because of this, consider these facts. Because uh, Christ was born to Mary, a virgin who was engaged to Joseph, it further sanctifies and honors the institution of marriage. Christ was born into a family. He was raised with a mother and father. He was given a good, solid upbringing. So it further sanctifies and honors the institution of marriage because of the way that Christ came into the world and the way that he was raised. Because they were betrothed, uh, it also saved Mary from ridicule and legal implications that society would have laid on her. If she would have just been a single woman, uh, nobody had any, uh, had never, if she had no relationship with a man whatsoever, she was not engaged, this could have been a horrific situation for her. But God worked it in such a way that she was protected from society and a lot of the judgment that would have come upon her in a different type of, if, if it had been carried out in a different type of way. So Mary uh, was saved from the ridicule and the legal implications that society would have laid on her. And like I said before, it also provided Jesus a family to grow up in, and it conveys the bless, blessedness and sanctity of the family unit in seeing how Christ came into the world how he lived, and how he was raised. Now let's look at verses uh, 19 through 21. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as they considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So again, try to put yourself into this situation. And because, like so much of, of Scripture and Christianity, I think we, be, we can become almost complacent with it because we hear the stories so much. Every year in the Christian faith, we hear the Christmas story. We hear how Christ was incarnated and how he came into the world. But think about the people that we're reading about. What must it have been like for Mary and for Joseph to receive these revelations supernaturally through either dreams or through the, the words of an angel and to be put into such a situation? And you got to ask yourself, how would I have responded to something like that? This is where we get the application from everything in the Bible. If we look at how we can uh, internalize it and apply it, in our own lives and our own walk with the Lord. So in verse 20, 
let me read it again. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in verse 20, it says, as he considered these things. So again, I want you to think of this from Joseph's perspective. And what we see where it says, as he considered these things, is that Joseph was not a rash or impulsive person. He didn't get upset. He didn't um, become judgmental towards Mary or question what was happening. It says he considered these things. There's a great lesson in that. When something that you don't understand comes about, something that may cause you stress, anxiety, fear, instead of reacting and letting our emotions have control, we need to step back and consider these things. That's a huge sign of maturity in the Christian faith. When you can step back and consider things, look at all the aspects of the situation, and then move forward in the way that you think the Lord is leading you. So that's what Joseph did here. He considered these things. So he wasn't rash or impulsive. He was certainly he had to have been troubled and distressed, but God was in control and came to his aid. And that's what we're going to see as we move forward in this. So I believe that Joseph probably was very concerned. He was upset with what he had been told, and he was wrestling with how to properly deal with it. So he had to spend time in consideration and contemplation of the circumstances that he found himself placed in. And there's a huge lesson in that for all of us. And then I think verse 19 gives us a glimpse of his personality and his character, because it says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man. So he was a fair man that understood what true justice is and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he was making an error here because at first he thought, well, I'll need to divorce her but I don't want to do it in such a way that's going to harm her reputation or cause her pain. So we see that he's a compassionate person and he has a kindness that I think comes through in verse 19. Gives us, like I said, a glimpse of his personality and a little bit of a understanding of Joseph's character. Um, so Joseph was a just man, but he was also concerned about the reputation and the welfare of his bride. Now consider this, because he was a just man, he would not have disregarded the Jewish law, which was very strict when it came to adultery. But he was a gentle and kind man who loved Mary and therefore sought to protect her from the severe damages caused by exposing her condition. So Joseph sought to settle the issue quietly, as we as Christians should strive to do when offended, hurt, or in distressing circumstances. This is such an important lesson for the times in which we live. I want to repeat that. Joseph sought to settle the issue quietly, as we as Christians should strive to do when offended, hurt, or in distressing circumstances. And we should do that out of love for the Lord and out of love for our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And we should do it because we want to be a loving example of the character of Christ to those in the world. Why is this an extremely important lesson in the world in which we live? Because of the thing that I, I complain about all the time, technology and social media. Up until a year or so ago, I was, I was quite involved in 
I guess you could say, social media ministry, trying to share the gospel with the lost, predominantly on Facebook, um, and to reach people with the gospel. And what I quickly found is it has almost no effect in that environment because those who are against the gospel come to a social media platform not seeking truth, but trying to justify or push their own agenda. So you automatically are in a bad spot because we're not social media and especially places like Facebook are not places where truth is sought out. It's basically a place of contention and where people want their opinions heard, their opinions understood, and they want to defeat anything that's contrary to it. And I think anybody that's been on there will agree to that. But what really became distressing is what was witnessed and what is still witnessed in the so-called Christian community in places like Facebook. And some of the most vicious, mean-hearted attacks that I have ever witnessed online have been from professing Christians against other professing Christians, spending hours and days and weeks just bickering and arguing back and forth on differences of opinion. And I do not believe that is anything close to what we are commanded to do in Scripture. And the thing that the reason I bring it up now is because it paints an extremely troubling picture of the Christian faith to the world. And it's why I really, I still post things online, but I really just sort of post and then and then just move along. I try to put things that are going to be edifying, they're going to help people, they're going to uplift people, but I almost invariably refuse to be drawn into debate. And I and I and I have people still inviting me to debate someone whether it's they're trying to defend Alcoholics Anonymous from a Christian viewpoint or celebrate recovery or or whatever it is. I just don't get into it anymore because it doesn't go anywhere and because it's so ugly, it's so draining, and it steals your joy in the Lord. So it is something that I think we really have to pay attention to nowadays is to think about what we are doing and, and, and what it's doing to us in our personal walk and what kind of a message and an image it conveys to the world as they look at what they think is Christianity. And it's a very, very big problem. Um, it's very concerning to me. But the reason I bring it up, I think you'll see, uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, Paul gives us a brilliant picture of how we are truly to be separated from the world, not to be a part of the world, and to not let the world in to things that should only be dealt with from within the true body of Christ. Now, I say the true body of Christ. The reason, again, that's so important is, like I've said before, myself and many other Christian leaders I talk to believe that probably 90% of professing Christians today are not saved, and 90% of the churches are not true churches. They become, they're just worldly um, gathering places that are marketed with a Christian uh, marketing scheme or a business plan. So the, the true Christian church is a very small percentage nowadays. But this is who Paul is speaking to here in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? 
So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So Paul's addressing this bickering that's going on within the church, but he's also addressing the issue that when these disputes arise between Christian brothers, they're not dealing with it within the church body as they should. They are going outside to worldly secular courts to have their differences decided. We should not be doing that as a church. What is one of the most glaring examples in the modern church of what I'm talking what, what we're reading about here? Divorce court. How many Christian families, when they fall on hard times, instead of being counseled biblically and truly by brothers and sisters in the body of Christ so that they can restore that relationship, they go to secular courts. And those courts decide who's going to get what, and the court is going to decide the fate of the children. I'm sorry, folks. A secular court has no authority over a family unit that resides in the body and abides in the body of Christ. The first priority is the church and the Christian faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's gone in modern society. You see, just think of that. Think of how far we've gone from when Paul wrote this to the Corinthian, Corinthian church. Pretty interesting to consider. Now notice that when he's in this dream, Joseph is, says he's having this dream. As he's considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I assume this angel is Gabriel because he's the angel that spoke to Mary. He's the angel that spoke to Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. And I believe he's probably the same angel that brought the message to Joseph, but it doesn't say Gabriel's name in scripture. But notice he says, Joseph, son of David. This is very important from a prophetic standpoint. The angel is reminding Joseph of his lineage from whom the Messiah was prophesied to be born. Joseph was from a loyal, a royal bloodline, the line of David, the line that, that the Lord promised the Messiah would come into the world through. And I'll give you some examples of these prophecies down through Scripture, because this is a major one. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we have a prophecy of the Messiah talking about the Messiah coming through the line of David in Isaiah. Now let's look at Jeremiah verse uh, chapter 33, verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now let's look at Ezekiel uh, 
chapter 37, verses 24 and 25. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So obviously, it's vitally important that Joseph understand that the reason he was chosen, one of the reasons is because he is a direct descendant of King David. But for us, again, that application, something that we can really uh, contemplate here, is the fact that as children of God through Jesus Christ, we should take comfort and we should gain strength from our divine royal heritage. Because what does it tell us? We, one of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ is we are adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we become royalty with Christ, sons and daughters of God. Amazing. We are brought into that prophecy because of and with Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Now, regarding Joseph's situation, this is what we can learn from him. When we're at a loss and see no solution or way out, the Lord opens unseen doors of deliverance and blessing. And you guys have heard me talk about this over and over for years. When we're in situations that we can't figure out, when we're in situations that cause us anxiety or fear, or we're not sure that, that something good may happen, but something bad may happen that, that could cause us great harm. Those are the times where if we really look to the Lord prayerfully, he will usually come through with a solution that we did not contemplate, that we did not think of, that we did not plan for. Why? Because that's what brings him glory. Let's look at Deuteronomy 22, 23 to 24, to give a little idea of the, of the severity of the situation that Mary and also Joseph could have found themselves in if this pregnancy that Mary was given supernaturally was viewed the wrong way through Jewish society. Deuteronomy 22, 23 and 24 talks about the law addressing adultery. If there is a betrothed virgin, uh, someone that's engaged, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So Joseph knew that this could be Mary's fate if this thing went bad, if this situation was viewed through the in the wrong way, you see? So these had to have been the things that he was contemplating. But he was a just man, so he had to deal with it in a way that he felt was legal and according to God's will. So you really start to get a sense of their predicament here, you see? So And then Mary, rather than also... To speak about her, Mary, rather than becoming frightened and despondent at the thought that her pregnancy would cause her great trouble, both with Joseph and society, instead rested calmly and faithfully in the providence of God. She was given this revelation. This angel visited her and told her what was going to take place. Instead of responding in fear and horror and anxiety, 
She trusted in the Lord. So really, I think that's what this message comes down to, at least part of it, is Mary and Joseph both trusted in the Lord. They had to because if they didn't trust in the Lord faithfully, how would they have ever made it through the first stages of what they were faced with? The first stages of the ministries that they were given by God. You see, they had to walk faithfully and trustingly looking to the Lord and he brought them through. Great lessons here. In verse 21, it says, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So now we're seeing the gospel shine forth from this message. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So why would the name Jesus have anything to do with saving the people from their sins? Obviously, we know it does now because Jesus paid the price of the penalty for the sins of his chosen ones. But how would Jesus save his people from their sins? Why was Jesus born and manifested in the flesh? Why did things have to happen as they happened? Let's look at Hebrews 10, uh, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. So what Paul's referring to here in the book of Hebrews is the futility of trying to atone for sin through the sacrifice of animals that the Jews had been trying to do for centuries. But it didn't cleanse them of their sins because of their, their original sin, the depravity that existed within them. So Christ came to free us from our to free us from and pay our debt for our sins and he was the perfect sinless and holy sacrifice the only sacrifice that has ever been made in history that is absolutely pure and perfect is that sinless perfect and pure sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary for the sins of us his chosen ones Physical, material sacrifices were only the symbols of the perfection that was to come in the person of Jesus Christ. So all the sacrifices that we saw down through the centuries that the Jewish people were making in the temple were getting across the point that it would never be enough because sin just continued to exist among them. And none of their sacrifices were perfect, but they were there to prefigure the one final perfect sacrifice that was made on our behalf. That's why when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning no more sacrifices are needed. The debt is paid. My chosen ones have been saved. See, it is finished. Three very important words to remember in the gospel. But it says a body was prepared for him. A body was prepared for that sacrifice through the virgin birth. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Folks, the reason Christ came was to be a sacrifice for us. That is a very intense thing to consider when, you, when you're contemplating the baby in the manger. You're contemplating 
Mary giving birth to that tiny child who is the savior of the world and considering the fact that that body was manifested, incarnated, God came to us in Jesus for one purpose, to suffer and die for us, to atone for our sins, to be raised for our salvation. That really changes the way you look at the Christmas story, if you look at it that way. And so many people don't want to. Obviously, yeah, joy to the world. Christ brought brings tremendous joy. Peace, he brings peace. He brings salvation. But you've got to realize you cannot separate the baby in the manger from the bleeding man on the cross. You see, the cross is the reason the manger exists. The manger exists because of the cross, you see? Very important to remember in the Christmas story. So please don't forget that. And it says, and you shall call his name Jesus. Again, why is that name so important? In Greek, it's Joshua, or you could say Yeshua. And what it means is Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves, or Savior. That's what the word Jesus means in Hebrew, or in Aramaic. Savior, or in Greek, I'm sorry. It means Savior. So that's why that name was given to him, because he is our Savior. Now, as, as is commonly shown in Scripture, a child's name was given by their mother by the authority of the father. This is very interesting. If you look at Luke 1, 59 through 63, it says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered why, because Zachariah had been told that would be the child's name. Elizabeth and, and, and Zachariah had already known, because the angel had told them that they would name him John. So the father makes the decision of the child's name. And Jesus' name was given by the authority of his father. So again, we have a reflection of the divine in human life in a regular occurrence, especially in ancient times. Very interesting. The Lord worked with Joseph in such a way that he allowed Joseph to see Mary's condition erroneously and to be ignorant of the truth until it was revealed to him by the angel. So again, J Joseph thought he had to divorce Mary. He looked at the, the situation Erroneously, he didn't understand exactly what was happening. So he just looked at it logically and thought, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. We'll move on with our lives and hopefully no harm will come to her. That's a kind way to look at it, but it wasn't what truly needed to happen. He wasn't understanding the situation yet. But by God's own power and voice, he brought Joseph to see the awesome truth of what was taking place. As the situation unfolded, Joseph was given supernatural understanding. The Holy Spirit opened his heart and his mind and his spirit so that he could understand what was taking place. And that's what made him grow in faith and courage and trust, you see, moving forward. And that's what we have to learn from this. God worked in such a way that the world was unable to bring suspicion upon the divine conception of Jesus Christ. This is very important. The angel brought God's word to Joseph rather than from Mary or someone else. 
If Mary had tried to tell this to Joseph, he would have thought she was out of her mind. He would have thought, I, I get engaged to this girl. She turns up pregnant, and now she's trying to tell me that an angel came and told her she was going to get pregnant by the power of God. No one would believe that. He wouldn't have believed it. So the angel came and conveyed it to him, just like to Mary, so that he understood. The Lord kept the revelation of Jesus's conception to the children of God that we are told of here in his word. Jesus was raised in a normal family with his parents, Joseph and Mary. All was revealed much later according to God's plan and timing. So they didn't obviously advertise what had taken place in their lives. They even went to Bethlehem and Christ was born there. You see? Later on is when these facts started coming out. And I really think that Mary probably sat down with Matthew and John and Luke and probably explained a lot of what took place during these times that they were probably not aware of. You see, it would have been fascinating to listen to those conversations. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's from Isaiah 17, 14. God with us. Again, three words in scripture that have so much power and so much meaning and can bring so much comfort and understanding if you contemplate them. The mystery of Christ's incarnation should be adored by, deliver, by believers and not torn apart and analyzed as if man had the capacity to discover and understand all the awesome ways of God. We can't understand how immaculate conception took place. It's beyond us. It was a supernatural act of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we try to analyze it, and tear it apart and argue about it, it cheapens it. We must be in awe of how Christ came into the world, the immaculate conception that took place. That's how we are to view this, you see? Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We will never understand all of God. Eternity with him will be a constant revelation of more and more of who he is and how he works. 1 Timothy 3.16. Whoops. I'll just read this when I went too far. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. One of the most beautiful explanations of what Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. But the main thing you got to understand is it says God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So if you want to know who God is, you cannot know who God is unless you know who Christ is. We can only come to the Father through the Son. No one has ever seen the Father ever in history. Sure, Moses saw a burning bush says he saw the back of God as he moved across the rock. But nobody has ever really seen God. But we see God when the Holy Spirit open, opens our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our spirits and our souls 
to see the person or work of Jesus Christ. That's how you see God, you see? Folks, that fact right there is one of the things that crushes Mormonism, because Mormonism teaches that Joseph Smith was visited by the Father and the Son. That totally goes against Scripture and the teaching of the Trinity. No one ever sees the Father. We only see the Father through the Son. That is how we know who God is. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And we only can know God by studying the person and work and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see? Now consider this. Every human being is born with original sin. Christ was not. And this gets back to that perfect sacrifice. Christ was not born with original sin. Now this is interesting. Who did original sin come from? Our original father, Adam. Christ's original father was who? God, the Holy Spirit, Immaculate Conception. Interesting point to look at, something interesting to consider. Luke one thirty five. the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It's talking about the Immaculate Conception. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's of Hebrew origin. And I want to reiterate that point about Christ being God incarnate. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Colossians 1.19 and Colossians 2.9. If you want to know who God is, you simply have to learn who Jesus Christ is. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with God. Through Christ, we are reconciled to the Father. You cannot separate that. You see? The Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament were accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So like I've talked about before, the turning point of history is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The cross is the central hub of all of creation and history and time. It's what everything rotates on and centers around. And all the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of those prophecies is in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Interesting. All the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The prophecy of him coming from the line of David. I forget, years ago I read about somebody, they just took the major like eight prophecies, I think it was, of the Messiah and figured out the mathematical chances of one person fulfilling them, and it was impossible. Jesus fulfilled them perfectly. Not just those eight, hundreds of prophecies down through Scripture. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of the Messiah perfectly. Now let's look at verses uh, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep... This is obedience. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He simply did what the Lord laid in front of him to do. He was given the commandment. He was given the revelation. He was told what was going to happen. It says he considered these things. He thought them through. The Lord gave him guidance. The Holy Spirit was giving him wisdom and understanding. 
And then what did he do? <clears throat> he moved forward in obedience. That's a huge lesson for us. Always strive to understand where the Lord is leading you and then pray for the courage and the strength and the confidence to be obedient to what the Lord is asking you or, or commanding you to do. Go in the direction that he leads you. Very important. In closing, I want you to just think about these things. Jesus was conceived in grace and he was brought forth in glory. God forms Christ in our souls by grace. And the amazing work that he conceives in us by grace will be brought to completion in glory. So what he did in Christ is reflected in what he does in the life of every believer. He brings us to life and then he brings us to glory in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And I want to close with a quote from Matthew Henry that I'm going to put on the screen here. Matthew Henry writes, by the light of nature, we see God as God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as a God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us in our own nature and in our interests. What a great quote that is. You can just visualize that. By the light of nature, we see God as God above us. You look around and you, you marvel at God's creation. By the light of the law, we see him as a God against us. Why? Because of what I alluded to earlier, the Jews could not live up to even part of the law. They failed miserably, so the sacrificial system was just going on in futility continuously. The law condemns us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us in our own nature and in our own interests. Praise the Lord for that. That's it for the day, for today, you guys. Uh, again, we've got very pressing needs in Kenya. The rains are continuing. We have churches that are leaking. One of our churches doesn't have a wall or part of a roof. Uh, so we need all the help we can get. And uh, the ministry here is growing a lot online. So a lot more time is uh, being consumed, which is, which is awesome. The Lord has blessed me with this ability to do this. Um, so I just ask if you have the ability to please consider donating to the ministry. You just go to the way, the letter R122.org. Let's pray and we'll get, uh, we'll finish up for today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for your blessings. And Lord, especially at this time of the year, I pray that you'd give us uh, a greater desire uh, to learn more of you, to understand your incarnation, to understand your sacrifice, and to, to really abide in you and to focus on what Christmas truly means. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll see you guys next week. God bless.